Losing the Plot, Chapter 16. So, Roger, how would you like to stand in for one of our actors? Um, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable in front of the camera, James. Don't worry, Roger. We won't be filming you. It's, it's just to help with setting up the shot. It'll, it'll be fun. Danny didn't look convinced, and to be fair, neither did Roger. But I had to suggest something. 45 minutes had now elapsed since first instructing Andy to get George sobered up, and there was still no sign of him. Despite the best efforts of most of the crew to keep Roger enthralled with the magic of movie land, our investor was looking decidedly listless. Film sets can be notoriously dull places to be if you're just a casual observer. The fact that without George, our set wasn't even functioning made it infinitely more so. There are only so many times that you can invite someone to look down the eyepiece of a camera and play with the zoom. As for Operation Happy Set, an increasingly frustrated Danny was doing his level best Narnian witch impersonation and transforming the set into an ice palace. He just couldn't help it. It was like his anti-gift, this ability to freeze the air and drain the joy out of everyone. Not that there was an abundance of joy knocking around in the first place. 14 extremely long days of filming had already taken their toll. And even hardcore crew members such as Terry, our lighting gaffer, were beginning to show signs of battle fatigue. I liked Terry, particularly as he tended to just get on with things without feeling the need to whinge, bitch, tut or sigh. As the man responsible for lighting each setup, he worked closely with the camera department, which meant that he had the endless joy of working closely with Danny. Fortunately, with 30 years of experience under his belt, Terry appeared to be sufficiently inured to the temper tantrums of highly strung DOPs to be able to dodge Danny's toys whenever they were sent flying from his pram. However, with Danny spending as much time arguing with Steve as, as he was actually operating the camera, I feared that even Terry might have his limits. For one thing, I had recently noticed that Terry's supply of ready quips had been dwindling, which was definitely not a good sign. A pervading sense of good humour had evaporated from the set a long while ago, and yet Terry had somehow managed to carry on as the lone bastion of the one-liner. Now, however, even this flickering light looked under threat in this cursed land that was always winter, but never Christmas. You realise, of course, that Roger is much taller than George, said Danny. Well, is, is that a problem? I asked. Well, it will be in terms of framing the shot. Yeah, but you can always adjust that easily enough when George is here, chipped in Terry. I can, Terry, but it's not, not exactly ideal, replied Danny. <laughs> well, Matty, since when has anything in life been even remotely ideal, said Terry, struggling to conceal his growing frustration. Imperfection was anathema to Danny, as was being referred to as matey. He shot Terry a dark and poisonous look. Terry responded by giving him a wide and intimidating smile. Within the stifling confines of the ice palace, something ominous was brewing. Increasingly alarmed by the darkening mood, I glanced over at Roger. Fortunately, from what I can make out, it looked as if this swelling tide of bad blood was currently going undetected by our investor. Uh, so are we, uh, are we blocking this scene with Roger or not? Toby said, labouring under the weight of an enormous yawn. I can't see the point, said Danny. 
In my opinion, the height difference makes it totally futile. No, it's not futile, Danny, said Terry firmly. We can at least start to light the shot, you know, rather than just hang around here being totally unproductive. Danny's lack of response prompted Terry to mumble something under his breath. What did you say? Snapped Danny. <laughs> really? You want me to tell you what I, what, what I just said? Answered Terry, seemingly tempted by the possibility of an out-and-out out Barney. Not wishing for this growing undercurrent of ill will to break surface and totally fuck up our chances of wooing Roger, I decided at this point to intervene. Look, Danny, can we, can we just do this? I said. Roger's come a long way to see us today, and I'd really like him to experience what it's like to work on a professional film set. Roger managed to muster a half-smile, but he was obviously feeling deeply uncomfortable about the whole notion of standing in for George, particularly as Danny had peed on the idea from such a great height. I looked over towards Steve for support, only to find him deeply engrossed in conversation with Joe. I wasn't for one moment buying this. Steve was far too adept at evading overzealous actors bearing well-thumbed and heavily annotated scripts. Being an enthusiastic supporter of the learn your lines and don't bump into the furniture school of acting, Steve made sure that he was never cornered by an earnest actor in search of his or her motivation. It was obvious to me that he was using Joe as a human shield and was taking some much-needed time out by, in effect, hiding in plain sight. Clever lad. I could hardly blame him. By this point, Danny's ongoing transigence had whittled away a significant chunk of Steve's enthusiasm for not only filmmaking, but for life itself, it would seem. You know, James, I'm, I'm really quite happy just to sit back and watch the professionals at work, suggested Roger. So uh, what, what do they do here then, James? said Terry. Who? I replied. Uh, the, these are uh, professionals that Roger speaks of. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, good one, Terry, I said, slapping him on the back and gurning like a simpleton at Roger. It wasn't one of Terry's best, but the quip did serve to partially ease the dangerously high levels of tension in the air. Danny remained resolutely stony-faced, but everyone else at least managed a, a smile of some description. Perhaps, after all, some semblance of my idealised happy set could be resuscitated. Terry stepped slowly behind Danny and patted him slowly on the shoulder. I have to say, it would be handy if we could get a, a professional in to replace this useless streak of piss. <laughs> I was confused. Terry's follow-up gag just wasn't funny. I knew this to be so because rather than laughing, the rest of the crew had suddenly become acutely interested in either the soles of their shoes or the peeling paintwork on the ceiling. So, what the fuck was Terry doing? Had he intended to publicly humiliate Danny, or had he left the safety catch off and accidentally pulled the trigger? It was true there had been numerous occasions when I had thought that any number of the crew would finally lose patience with Danny and, verbally at least, go for the jugular, or stab him through the heart with a silver crucifix, which was my personal weapon of choice. But thankfully, and against all the odds, this hadn't quite happened. There had of course been a steady trickle of barbed comments and subtle, and not so subtle, digs along the way, but to date, no actual face-to-face -face declarations of war. Now, whether it had been his intention or not, Terry had not only thrown down the gauntlet, but he had also rammed it up Danny's ass and given it a good, hard twist. And then it dawned on me. 
Terry hadn't attended that morning's meeting and so had absolutely no idea who Roger was. Ah, if he had, then I'm sure he would have been a bit more circumspect regarding any possible antagonistic tangle with Danny. After all, Danny was being irritatingly pedantic, but it was pretty mild stuff compared to what had gone before. Hours of precious shooting time had been lost in the last 14 days to Danny's queenie fits, artistic strops and sudden unexpected departures from the set. But throughout all the histronics, Terry, the steadfast pro with hundreds of gigs under his belt, had played a quiet, stolid and steady hand. Now, whether by accident or design, some safeguard had slipped and the truth was out. With Danny presently turning white with rage, the indicators were strong that some massive blowout was imminent. Time, I thought, to get our precious investor as far away from the blast zone as possible. Right, Roger, um, if, if you'd like to come with me, I said, firmly taking hold of Roger's arm and ushering him quickly away from the others. Your first position for this scene is going to be right over here, I believe. Honestly, James, I, I don't really think I'm up to this. Nonsense, Roger. You'll be great. Keeping a firm grip on my precious investor, I escorted him down the length of the bedroom corridor and through a pair of large double doors that led through to the main staircase. This I judged to be a sufficiently safe distance away from ground zero. Right, Roger, if you could just wait here until we call action, I said, turning to go back through the open door. And then what do I do? Well, uh, you know, just just walk back along the corridor until you hear cut or stop or some other form of direction. Okay? Right, said Roger, looking distinctly uncomfortable. Great, I said, gamely ignoring his discomfort. I'm glad that's all clear. Are they, um, are they going to be all right? Asked Roger. Who? Your crew. It's just that I noticed there was a bit of, um, tension in the air back, back, back there. <laughs> don't worry about that. That's just harmless banter. Happens all the time on the film sets. Oh, oh isn't, isn't that right, Kate? So, uh, sorry, I missed that, said Kate, who was attempting to sidle past us unobserved. I was just telling Roger here that film crews like to, you know, have a good old banter sometimes. Oh, oh, yes, that's certainly quite normal, affirmed Kate. And sometimes, of course, that banter gets quite, um, quite feisty, I elaborated. Feisty? asked Roger. Yes, you know, feisty, I said, turning back to Kate. You know what I mean by a bit of feisty banter, Kate, don't you? Hmm? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not sure if I do, said Kate. Yes, you do. You know, feisty, like a colourful, exuberant, high-spirited and uh, cunt. The expletive landed like a mortar shell. Momentarily concussed, I struggled for a few seconds before having the presence of mind to close the door behind me. In fact, in my experience, I continued, such exuberant banter and playful ribbing is a, is a healthy sign that all is as it should be. And fucking cunt! If cunt was a mortar shell, then fucking cunt was a £30,000 bunker buster, capable of permanently rearranging the atoms of an underground nuclear facility. Certainly my attempt at mitigating the impact of such blasts by closing the door had proved woefully insufficient. Terry had lost it. The ice palace was collapsing. The third act to our movie was starting to look like the distant dream of some mad bastard fantasist who seemed incapable of ever finishing a creative project. Uh, better just, um, I better just go and, you know, check on things, I said. 
Luke James, if now's not a good time for visitors, I can always come back another time. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I said with a shrill, nervous laugh. You stay here, Roger, and everything's fine. It's, it's just a bit of um, a feisty banter. Yes, yes, Roger, that's right. Feisty banter. I wasn't losing Roger now. I had worked way, way too hard for this. Oh, um, Kate. Yes, said Kate, who had managed to cross the landing and reach the top of the stairs. Are you a bit, are you busy? Why? I, I, I just thought, you know, you could do, um, you could do your thing on Roger while I, uh, have a quick chat with the crew. Uh, do, do my thing, said Kate. You know, you, your job. Roger suddenly gave the look of someone keen to draw a big fat line. Thanks, James, but I really don't fancy having a makeover, he said firmly. No, it's not a makeover, Roger. It'll just be a bit of um, undercoat. Roger isn't a wall, said Kate. No, so of course he isn't. (laughs) You mean foundation, continued Kate. So yes, that's it for foundation. I turned back to address Roger. It's what all actors require before they come under the the glare of film lighting. I just thought it it, it would add another level to your movie-making experience, Roger. You know, make your whole visit here feel more... uh, Immersive. Fucking cunt! Oh, I I think it's been pretty immersive so far, said Roger, as Terry's latest obscenity blasted its way through the fire doors. I wondered if that was it, or whether Terry was building up to some epic cunt and fuck-laden finale. After a moment's hesitation, Kate gave me a slight conspiratorial nod and walked briskly over to Roger. "Ah, Now, what I'm going to do here, Roger, she said, taking out a small round pot, and a foam wedge from her makeup bag. It's just use a little foundation to even out your skin tones. So um, do you mind just closing your eyes for me? Uh, sure, said Roger, caught out by Kate's rapid descent. I mouthed a big thank you in Kate's direction. Kate mouthed back, you owe me. I swung open the double doors. Right, I'll, I'll wait here for someone to call action then, Roger called after me. Yes, and in, in the meantime, just, you know, sit back and enjoy the... Uh, skin tone evening out thing i said i'll try said roger through clenched teeth as i closed the door behind me i attempted to get my head around the main elements of this unfolding pr disaster george was drunk terry set to with danny had descended into utter fucking cunt territory and i like some mad mix of overtired playgroup leader and crazed disney world rep had press-ganged our key investor into being a stand-in on an inert film set. To top it all, I had instructed Kate to cake Roger in foundation. Marvellous. When I got back to the crew, Terry and Danny were missing. Where are they? I said on the cusp of panic. Toby pointed towards two opposing rooms that led off the corridor. Steve's in that one, talking to Terry, said Diane, pointing to the room on the left. And how about Danny? I said, looking towards the other door. Anyone in there with him? No, said Lucy. Thought we'd leave him be for a bit. It all got a bit heated here. Yes, I know, I I heard. Better the heat than the icy cold, said Toby. Sorry, Toby, but what does that even mean? I said, tetchily. Well, better out than in. Nope, still not making much sense. Well, let's just put it this way, James. Something bad has been brewing for a long time. At least now it's come to a head. Yes, well, I'd rather it came to a head when our main investor wasn't present, Toby bit like an overripe fart, continued Toby, warming to his theme. What is, I said, the whole bad set vibe? Right, 
You do acknowledge, though, said Toby, looking suddenly serious, that Danny had it coming. The crew went suddenly very quiet and very still. Look, Toby, I don't think this is either the time or the place to... I suddenly stopped as a worrisome thought took hold of me. Hang on. Terry didn't harm Danny in any way, did he? Toby paused for a moment to consider this. Um, not as such. What do you mean, not as such? It was an accident, said Lucy. That uh, Terry sort of caused, clarified Toby. What do you mean, sort of? Jesus, what's just happened here? I said, suddenly struggling for air. Well... Uh, Terry was doing the whole shouting obscenities in Danny's face thing, explained Toby, when uh, Danny tripped over backwards and clonked his head. Is he all right? I said. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Steve's not called for any backup so far. No, I, I mean, is Danny all right? Oh, him? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sure he's fine, said Toby dismissively. He's just being a princess as usual. Still, you should probably go and see him, James, interjected Diane. You know, to make sure he's okay. I could tell from the look on Diane's face that, contrary to Toby's nonchalance, we had quite possibly stumbled into an end-of-days scenario. For if, as a result of this recent fracas, we lost Danny, we would probably not be able to replace him. This wasn't because he was some kind of creative genius. It was because in the industry, cinematographers don't like picking up and finishing off other cinematographers' work. It offends their sensibilities, apparently. It is particularly difficult to get them to do this, of course, if all they are offered are some loose coins that a desperate producer has found down the back of a buggered chaise long, along with a couple of buttons, some dice and a fluff-encrusted mint. I knew that it was imperative that, despite my own personal misgivings, I made sure that Danny remained on board until the end, preferably with all his motor functions firmly intact. I walked over to the bedroom that Danny had retreated to and gently knocked on the door. Uh, hi Danny, uh, it, it's James. Can I, can I come in? No answer. I knocked again. Still, nothing. Shit. What if there was some kind of conspiracy and everyone was playing down the so-called accident? What if, as a, a result of a flying headbutt from Terry, Danny was now lying unconscious and in a coma on the other side of this very door. Savaged by a crippling attack of paranoia, understandably not my first on this shoot, I snuck a quick look back at the crew. Did I detect Amy looking sheepishly away when I attempted to catch her eye? Was Toby really that fascinated by Sasha's vegan snack to be studying it as if he had discovered a new species? Or was this just a way of avoiding my probing gaze? And how about Diane? Was she facing away from me with her head conveniently submerged in her continuity file because she knew the truth but just couldn't bring herself to tell me? You should probably go and see him, Diane had said. Oh yes, Diane knew something was badly amiss. Of this, my paranoic self was certain. I pushed open the door. Danny was sat on a chair by the window. Even though he had his back to the door, it was instantly apparent that he was neither comatose nor covered in blood. In fact, I was cheered to see that his faculties were in such good order that he was currently busying himself with pen and paper. <clears throat> How are you doing, Danny? I said. How do you think I'm doing? He replied, putting down his pen and swinging round to face me. 
than his face lit like thunder, but I certainly prefer the idea of dealing with bad rather than spilt blood. I felt a renewed surge of optimism, which was no doubt linked to the euphoric relief of discovering that Danny wasn't dribbling as a result of a recently inflicted brain injury. I certainly felt confident that I could at least broker some sort of ceasefire between Danny and Terry. That was all I needed. A sensation of hostilities, followed by half an hour of a working set. Hell, what did it even matter whether the set was happy or not? I just had to prove to Roger that we were at least a going concern, even if we couldn't quite manage much in the party hat and balloon department. Look, Danny, I I really want to fix this, I said. Do you? Then fire Terry. Uh, If possible, I'd, I'd rather we found some other way of tackling this situation. Like what? He said. Well, you know, perhaps get some sort of dialogue going on between the two of you. Oh, didn't you hear? We tried that and it didn't quite work out for us. I'm sorry, James, but I think we're way beyond talking now. I personally don't think so, Danny, I said. I think that all we need is a bit of honesty and hopefully a, a, a willingness to forgive. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. If, if Terry is out of order, then what do you mean if? Said Danny, jumping to his feet and striding over to me. Look, look what the bastard did to me. He continued while pointing to a spot on the back of his head. I looked closely at the highlighted area, but couldn't see any sign of uh, injury. Oh, what am I looking at exactly? I asked. The bump, James. Can't you see the bump? Not really, no. Go on, put your fingers there and feel it, said Danny, taking hold of my left hand and thrusting it onto his head. I lightly touched Danny's head and, having failed to detect any bump-like aberrations, quickly withdrew my hand. Sorry, Danny, I, I, I can't feel... No, no, not there, snapped Danny, grabbing my forefinger and dragging it across to a hitherto uncharted part of his cranium. There, he said. My finger found the fabled lump. It wasn't big, but it did exist. I was doubting Thomas no more, though touching it and particularly being made to touch it did make me feel quite nauseous. By the way, I do find it rather telling that while Jesus commanded us to love thy enemies, he didn't insist that we had to touch their warm, tingly and slightly pulsating bits. But wasn't it just an accident, Danny? I said. Like fuck was it an accident, spat Danny. Terry pushed me over. What, he actually physically pushed you over? Yes, to all intents and purposes. Yes, yes, he did, James. I'm I'm, I'm sorry, Danny, but I, I really need to know exactly what happened. Did Terry actually push you over, you know, physically, like with with his hand? Not actually with his hand, no, but he was advancing on me in such an aggressive manner that I had nowhere to go apart from stepping backwards which is exactly when I fell. Look, don't worry, James. It'll be made perfectly clear once I've finished filling in this form. Danny thrust an official-looking document at me. At the top of the form was the heading Health and Safety Incident Report Form G12. If you look at the bottom of page three, he continued, you'll see that I've already begun drawing a plan of what took place. I turned to the relevant page and saw a detailed schematic diagram of the set with the locations of personnel and equipment represented by various symbols. At the foot of the diagram, there was a multicoloured legend explaining what each of these symbols represented. For example, Toby was represented by a microphone symbol, Gemma was a clothes hanger, Sasha a clapperboard, etc. 
For someone who had only moments before received a bang on the head, it was incredibly impressive to see such fine draftsmanship and close attention to detail. If this were a school project and I were Danny's housemaster, then I would have awarded him a hundred house points and a big gold star. But I wasn't his teacher and Danny wasn't 14. And so instead, I was left with the feeling of being really, really scared at being presented with this evidence of freakily obsessive anality. Where did you get this from? I said. What, the form? Uh, Off the internet. I downloaded and printed off a number of health and safety forms once it had fully dawned on me that you weren't going to be providing any such materials yourself, James. As it turns out, it was somewhat prescient of me, and I'm sure it will come in very useful if I decide to report this incident to the police. Oh, come on, Danny, there's there's no need to do that. It was just an accident. Uh, Actually, I was going to say uh, a misunderstanding. I lied. Sorry, James. Which bit did I misunderstand? The being called a cunt, a fucking cunt, or an utter fucking cunt? Look, Lucy saw what happened. She she thought the, the injury was just an accident. Right, well, that's typical Lucy, isn't it? Always undermining me, said Danny. At this point, I found myself in total agreement with what I now understood to be a perfectly balanced, accurate and insightful assessment by Terry concerning Danny. Danny was indeed an utter fucking cunt. How dare he accuse Lucy of undermining him? Lucy had bust a gut providing logistical and moral support to Danny from day one and had consistently argued his case with me at every step regarding his never-ending wish list for camera equipment. Like me, she had bent over backwards to try and accommodate his needs, even going as far as buying him an electric blanket and bleeding his bedroom's radiator when he had complained about how cold his fucking bedroom was. I wasn't totally unsympathetic to Danny's cause, and and, and I appreciated that he had some kind of case against Terry, but he really, really wasn't helping himself by being such a prize asshole. Still, now was not the time to rain down fire on him. As always, pragmatism dictated, annoyingly, that I had a longer game to play. Look, James, the choice is yours. It's either him or me. Danny, we can't afford to lose either of you. I'm sorry, James, but after what has just happened, there is no way that I can work with Terry again. My respect for him has been totally destroyed. And without true respect, the whole symbiotic relationship between cinematographer and lighting gaffer is made unworkable symbiotic relationship jesus who who talks like this really i mean in the, in the real world who who talks like this and and more to the point why the fuck had we even considered employing this weird fucking creature i was getting desperate and it looked pretty clear that as things stood danny wasn't going to play ball it was time for some plain dealing seasoned with a good dash of self-abasement the truth is danny if we don't impress roger today then we won't be able to finish this film I really need you to help me here. Danny looked genuinely perturbed. How come? We're we're running on fumes, Danny. We need more money. But you've already booked me for an additional week's worth of filming. That's true, I, I have. Oh, I see. So you've booked me, James, in the hope that your investor will cough up some more cash. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Look, I'm, I'm so sorry, Danny, but I, I had no other choice. Well, I have to say, James, that that's, that's a pretty appalling thing to do, booking me out when you don't have the funds in place. What if I turned down some lucrative job due to my commitment to this film, only to find that in a couple of days' time, 
This project no longer existed. I had to ask, well, have you turned down any work, Danny? Well, not yet, but that's not the point, Danny shouted back. Turns out I didn't need to ask. There's a principle at stake here, James, continued Danny. I agreed to be your cinematographer for what amounts to very little money, and I agreed to do this in good faith. Now you've gone ahead and booked me for an additional sum of money that you don't actually have. This isn't good faith, James. It's deception, plain and simple. In employing my Honest Joe approach to Danny, it felt as if I had taken a wrong turn and driven straight off Beachy Head. I needed to crank up the contrition before I lost him completely. Look, I'm really, really, really sorry, Danny. I, I should have told you. I just, I just didn't want to worry anyone. Well, a responsible producer would have levelled with us and told us the truth, James, that there was a serious possibility of the funds drying up. You know, I might even have considered a deferred fee for the last week if you had been honest with me. Shit, yes, deferred fees. Why hadn't I thought of that before? One of my how-to books had mentioned the concept as a way of stretching the budget. If all fell through with Roger, a scenario that was looking increasingly likely, maybe offering deferred deals to cast and crew might work. But then I couldn't quite see Sir Hugh buying into this jam tomorrow malarkey and deferring his 11 grand. So uh, the deferred fee thing for you is um, definitely out of the window, is it? I said, yes. And you're not going to come back on set unless Terry is sacked? That is correct, James. Okay, um, do you reckon there's any chance that you might consider coming back on set if I sacked Terry in about an hour's time? You mean after your investor has left? Yes. I didn't have any intention of sacking Terry, but I thought that if I could just get Roger's visit out of the way, then I still might be able to get Danny to back down from his me or him ultimatum. Danny walked over to the window and stared out into the middle distance. I couldn't see his face, but I, I got the distinct impression that the little shit was enjoying this. After 20 seconds of deliberation, he returned his verdict. No, James. I am not stepping back out onto that set until Terry has left the building. I was out of options and I was out of time. Soon, I imagined, I would pretty much be out of my mind. There was a knock at the door. If that's Terry coming to apologise, said Danny, turning back towards the window. Tell him it's too late. I walked over and tentatively opened the door. It was Steve. It's, it's not Terry, I assured Danny. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll be back in a mo. OK, but don't forget, Danny called after me as I disappeared through the entrance. If you want me out there impressing Roger, then you know who cannot be within these walls. Yeah, got that, Danny. Thanks, I replied, closing the door behind me. From Steve's anguished yet resigned expression, it was clear that he too got it. Ignoring the many inquisitive stares from the crew, Steve and I scurried off down the corridor to find some little nook where we could conduct a hastily convened, really, really fucking extreme emergency meeting. So, um, Danny wants Terry to go then, said Steve, after we had tucked ourselves behind a large dresser. That's a bloody shame. I like Terry, so do I, Steve. I not only like him, but don't we, like, need him? Well, not as much as Danny, unfortunately. What, you, you think we should just give in to Danny's demands and get rid of Terry? Well, to, to be honest, I, I don't see that we have much choice. It's the lesser of the two evils, isn't it? 
We can't carry on very easily without a camera operator, stroke, DOP. We can, though, just about muddle through without a gaffer. Fuck, I said. Fucking Dade, concurred Steve. But that means he's, he's winning. It's just one battle, James, but we can still win the war. Steve was right. Operation Market Garden, the Battle of the Bulge, they were both setbacks for the Allies in the Second World War, but they were only setbacks. Hitler got his just desserts in the end, and Berlin did finally fall. So, um, how's Terry doing? I asked. Oh, he's berating himself for losing it with Danny. He told me that that's never happened before to him. Not in nearly 30 years of working in the industry. He said that there was just something about Danny that just ate into him. Yes, I know that feeling, I said with a shudder. Danny's been slowly devouring me from day one. (sighs) Tell me about it, said Steve with a heavy sigh. Try spending 12 hours a day with him. We both stood there for a moment, lost in deep, dark, Danny-centred thoughts. So you better get on with it, James. We can't keep Roger in cold storage for much longer. But I'm bollocks, yes, I'd forgotten he was still waiting for his cue, I said. Is is Kate still with him? I've no idea. And how about Lucy? Do you know where she's got to? Oh, yeah, yeah, Lucy. She went looking for Andy um, as she couldn't get hold of him on the radio. I think she's worried that George might have given Andy the slip and has found his way down to uh, Sir Hugh's wine cellar. Jesus, I exclaimed. At the other end of the corridor, Kate emerged through the double doors and, on spotting Steve and I, made an immediate beeline towards us. I think you better do something with Roger, said Kate, joining us. As much as I try to jolly him along, you know, this being happy set day and all, I think he's starting to lose patience. Yes, well, I'm I'm not surprised, I said. So how is the mood on set now, she said, making a searching glance around the crew. Is Terry okay? Yeah, uh, he's fine. Well, he's going to be fine, I said, which was actually true, as he would soon be free of all this madness. Where's Danny, said Kate. Steve and I exchanged a brief look. He's, uh, he's, he's resting, I said. But isn't he needed for the scene blocking? Continued Kate. Before I could answer, Roger appeared through the double doors and began to meander up towards the crew. Shit, Kate, um, can you, uh, can you do something else with Roger? Um, we're not really in a position to have him roaming around on set at the moment. What do you suggest? Mascara? Eyeliner? Some false eyelashes? I mean, are we talking the full tranny here, James? Well, obviously not, I said rather gruffly. I don't really think that's Roger's thing. Come on, Kate, there must be something else you could do to him to, you know, to to keep him entertained. I'm not a fucking circus clown, James, said Kate. I'm a professional hair and makeup artist. That is an idea, James, said Steve with a wry smile. We can make him up as Coco the Clown. (laughs) It would certainly make his visit here more memorable. Not helpful, Steve, I said sharply. I think it's going to be memorable enough, but sadly for all the wrong reasons. Meanwhile, down the corridor, Joe had struck up an animated conversation with Roger. Say, James, Roger's fine, said Steve, having spotted them. Jay's probably enthralling him with some actually anecdotes. That should buy us a bit more time. I'm sorry, Steve. I'm not comfortable with Roger being alone with the talent, I said. Particularly Joe. I mean, you know how overwhelming she could be. Apart from anything else, we can't guarantee that she's going to be sufficiently on message. For all we know, she could be slagging us off right now. We need to contain this situation. We need Lucy back here overseeing any interactions between talent and investor. We need to... Easy there, Skipper, said Steve, placing a calming hand on my shoulder. You're beginning to spiral. What do you mean, what do you mean spiral? I said defensively. You know, as in the burning plane spiraled out of control. <laughs> oh, 
Don't worry about me, Steve. I'm, I'm fully in control. All right, said Steve, totally unconvinced. Eyebrows, I suddenly shouted. What about them? said a bewildered Kate. You could pluck Roger's eyebrows, I continued. I took hold of Kate's shoulders and aimed her in Roger's direction. Go on, Kate, I'm sure I read somewhere that male movie stars have their eyebrows plucked. Right, so let's just get this straight. You want me to offer to pluck Roger's eyebrows, said Kate. No, don't offer. Insist. Remember, it's all part of that immersive film set experience we're trying to give him. Kate looked at Steve in the hope that he might toss her some kind of lifeline. But all Steve could manage was a, hey, I only work here, shrug. Spiralling or not, this was still my shoot. I may have been experiencing paranoid interludes, but I was still the skipper of this ship. We were in the middle of a nasty squall, that was all, and I remained convinced that we could still just about ride it out. Right, okay, then that's definitely it, said Kate. Thanks, Kate, I owe you big time, I said. And again, yes, you do. Armed with her tweezers, Kate began to walk off. Oh, and can you get him back behind the double doors, I said. I want him off the set completely. This situation with Terry, are you sure you're up for this? said Steve, looking genuinely concerned at my recent transformation into Captain Ahab. Yes, yes, of course, I said. It, it, it's all in the service for the, for the greater good, the big picture. I'm sure, given the circumstances, Terry will absolutely 100% understand. Cut to 10 minutes later. Open the fucking door, come on! Open the fucking door so I can cave your fucking head in, you utter fucking cunt! Terry hadn't understood. Well, he had understood that Danny had delivered an ultimatum, but then he hadn't been, quite understandably, that understanding about the outcome of this ultimatum. In terms of my understanding of the present situation, I understood pretty clearly that I had a self-inflicted clusterfuck on my hands. In hindsight, I should have kept stum about Danny's involvement in our decision-making process and just sacked Terry on the basis of his recent blowout. I doubted Terry would have liked it much, but at least he might have given me some begrudging respect for making such a difficult decision. But instead, I had opted to tell Terry that my hand had been forced, as this had been a far less stressful way of delivering the pill. It was less stressful, of course, because it was cowardly. It meant that I could wash my hands of Terry's fate via uh, pat phrases like My hands are tied and if I could have it any other way and yet still come across as the good guy. The one who completely against his will and better judgment was being forced by the evil white witch of cinematography to sacrifice a key and highly valued member of his crew. I didn't so much feel like the good guy now. I felt more like the guy in the parable of the fucking idiot, a lesser known story from the New Testament about a man who, after choosing the easier and less stressful path for his allegorical journey, soon discovers that this is a fast lane to the devil's pantry. Terry, do you think you could dial it down just a tiny bit? I said, glancing nervously down the corridor to see if this latest uproar would draw Roger out. Ignoring me, Terry grabbed the door handle and made another attempt to gain access to Danny. Come on, you fucker! Let me in! The door refused to budge. The little bastard, muttered Terry, more to himself than me. I think he's managed to wedge something against it. Terry, I know you're angry, I said, but is there any chance we can do this a bit, a bit later? Terry turned to face me square on. I'm sorry if this is an inconvenient time for you, James, he said. Thing is, 
I've just been sacked because this fuck-faced turd demanded my scalp. Something, by the way, that you were more than happy to provide him with. Terry, as I pointed out to you, my, my hand was forced, I squirmed. I'm sorry, James, I, I, I can hardly hear you, said Terry, dramatically cupping his ear. Can you speak up so that everyone can hear exactly why I am being forced to leave? I was painfully aware that all eyes were suddenly fixed on me. The news that Terry had been sacked had prompted a ripple of gasps, sighs and murmurings amongst the crew. And now everyone seemed to be tuning in for the gritty details. I had to get rid of Terry. Roger just couldn't witness this. I didn't know how much time I had, but if strictly behind closed doors, of course, I could let Terry expend his wrath on Danny with me acting as referee, uh, just in case Terry really did intend on causing bodily harm, then maybe Terry's honour would be satisfied and, and he would quickly depart. This would then allow Danny to come back on set and finally we could do something, even if it was just blocking the scene with Roger as George's stand-in. Hey, by that point, even, even George himself might well have been recaptured and, 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 and we could astound Roger with some actual real-life filming. Wow, now there was a staggering thought. Danny, can, can you open up, mate? I shouted through the door. Is that lunatic still there? Came Danny's muffled reply. Um, yes, he is, but don't worry, he, he isn't going to hurt you. I gave Terry an emphatic look. Terry responded with a marginally acquiescent shrug and smiled. It was hard to tell if the smile came from a wholesome place or whether it was the salivating grin of a lion about to tuck into a cornered gazelle. Danny, we just all need to be grown up about this and have a talk, I said. After a couple of moments, I heard the scraping of furniture and the handle began to turn. Yes, the tide was turning. I could feel it in my bones. At last, something good was about to be salvaged out of all this compound fuck witchery. Which is just when everything went a bit John Woo. Cut to interior, mansion house, bedroom corridor, day. The following scene plays out in slow motion. In extreme close-up, we see the handle turn and the door begin to open. We catch a glimpse of Danny lurking behind the door. Terry begins to mouth something in Danny's direction and proceeds to move forward into the opening. We cut now to the double doors at one end of the corridor. These swing open to reveal Roger and Kate. With determined strides, Roger moves down the corridor, away from a protesting and tweezers-wielding Kate. We now cut back to a close-up of James looking alarmed at Roger's approach. Cutting to the doors at the other end of the bedroom corridor, we see from a low-angle shot, George, flanked by Andy and Lucy, step through the doors. In extreme close-ups, we see George's bloodshot eyes and drops of perspiration on his flushed red skin. We cut back to a close-up of James looking over and seeing George, Andy and Lucy. He looks momentarily relieved, but then we cut to Terry bundling his way into Danny's bedroom. James steps over in an attempt to arrest Terry's onward motion. With Danny holding his ground, all three parties become entangled in the door's entrance. We see cutaways of flailing, jostling arms and contorted, pained facial expressions as the melee intensifies. We now cut to a shot of Lucy and Andy leaving George's side and moving towards the melee. Cutting back to Roger, we see him stop and look on aghast at the developing scuffle. We cut back to the melee 
and as Lucy and Andy bundle their way in, the whole group collapse through the door into the room beyond. We cut back to a close-up of Roger, looking utterly astounding. We now see George taking a large swig from his hip flask before walking up to Roger and offering him his hand. And still staring incredulously ahead at the others, Roger takes George's hand, at which point we cut to George looking suddenly very ill. In a final series of cuts, we see Lucy, Andy, Danny, James and Terry sprawled out in an unseemly tangle on the floor. Roger shaking his head in disbelief. George projectile vomiting onto Roger's expensive suit. Roger staggering back with disgust and shock. And finally, an extreme close-up shot of James observing Roger with the sort of traumatic look that no amount of regular and intensive psychotherapy can ever fully heal. 